This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world, hosted by Christian Blatt. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Blattcast. As always, I am Christian Blatt, and uh, as is always a delight, uh, joined by... Uh, another Christian, uh, Christian Toto, who we do often talk to around this time of the year, but uh, we're not talking Oscars, not just yet. Uh, Christian Toto, thanks for coming back on the Blackcast. Thanks for having me. And I think you may be the only Christian in my inner circle. I feel like I don't <laughs> run into that name very often, which I use, you know, as a kid, I thought this is a very common name. I don't think it is as common as I thought. No, it, it isn't really. I mean, it, it was, you know, I mean, I went to a small school, but it, it, you know, there were like six Chris's in my class. So I was very particular. I'm like, no, my name was Christian. You know, <laughs> it was like, I don't, don't lump me together with, with those other idiots. Mr. Christian. And, yeah. And then, you know, Christian Slater came on the scene and then the name got a little bit cooler. You know, so that helped. <laughs> you know? then, he, then he faded away, so it gave it less cool again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 run from Heather's to Mister Robot uh, was a good one. Uh, anyway, uh, so Christian, you have a book called uh, "Virtue Bombs: How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul," and uh, I want to talk a lot about uh, that book. But uh, one of the things you start off with in the book is uh, something that I don't think I realized. And you, when you were younger, you had the job that I just always wished I'd had. You worked in a video store. So you, you know, you were basically, you know, your neighborhood's Quentin Tarantino. Without the fame, fortune and talent. Yes. That's exactly. <laughs> well, you know, he did, run, he did use his credit cards to make his first movie. So, you know, he didn't have the, he didn't have the fame right away. <laughs> That's right. I use my credit cards to pay the rent. So we're, we're very similar. <laughs> it's not that different. <laughs> Um, and, uh, what, uh, the, so what, you know, and you can define the era when you worked in, you know, I've talked sure. about worked in record stores and things like that. It's going to, so like, what were like the hottest movies you remember from your tenure there, you know, where oh. it's like somebody always coming in to be like, you know, do you have this? And it's like, no, of course we don't have this. Everybody wants this. The one movie that stands out above all others is the one that changed our, our store policy. It was dirty dancing. When that movie came out, the reserve list went kablooey. Now we had a thing where basically you can say, hey, I want to see Dirty Dancing on Saturday. We'd write your name down and we'd hold it for you on Saturday. And then, but we, it, it started to stretch into like weeks and weeks because everybody <laughs> wanted it. So we had a policy now only one week in advance. So if, if our whole Dirty Dancing allotment was filled up for a week, you got to wait a couple of days and once things loosen up again. So that was a big one. Hunt for October was, was pretty, oh, pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, uh, raising Arizona, but just in my heart and mind. But, uh, <laughs> right. So much, you kept uh, you kept signing people up to take Raising Arizona, and they're like, "What's that? I don't I don't know if I want to see that." You want to hear something Rain Man esque? Twenty six ninety, twenty six ninety one. Those are the two copies of Raising Arizona we had, and the numbers affixed to them. I can yes, understand I how something like that would stick with you. Absolutely. Oh, that's <laughs> so funny. So, uh, I, I assume that, you know, you have a job like that. You mm. have a, a love of film going into it, but sort of being around it all the time, uh, you, you must've discovered, uh, films that you wouldn't have otherwise, you know, I mean, the, the beauty of the old mm. video store was, you know, going in and walking around and yeah, you can do that on, uh, on Netflix mm -hmm. now, but just physically looking around and it's grouped in sections. And a lot of times the people who worked there would put like their picks on a shelf. So you yeah. must've found some great stuff that you wouldn't have found otherwise if you had never worked in a video store, right? 
It, you know, I loved movies prior to it. It was mm -hmm. more of a happenstance that I got the job. It wasn't a direct, oh, I love movies. Let me go find this gig. Right. But once I was in there, it it kind of changed my relationships with movie art because I was inundated with all the posters, which were constantly, uh, you know, circulating or uh, you know, evolving and revolving. Yeah, sure. Also, the boxes themselves from the uh, the boxes that got uh, bleached out by sunlight to just <laughs> ones I'll never forget. Like it just it just was so ingrained in me. But yeah, you know, I did uh, see films that I probably wouldn't have otherwise. I think maybe the one that jumps out to me was Metropolitan. I think it was Whit Stillman's first movie. Oh, okay, sure. And for yeah. some reason, I loved that movie. And it was it was it was in my rotation. There were certain movies I would watch again and again. And then even if they were a little bit PG thirteen or even R, I knew the bad places in the movies, so I would actively <coughs> cough. Yeah. And then that would cancel out the curse or something. Or there was a scene <laughs> in uh, Christmas Vacation where there's sort of a maybe part of a woman's upper body is shown and I, I I'd either fast forward through that or I'd somehow maybe do like a magician's trick where I deflect. So, yeah. Yeah. So for all those reasons, it, it was a lot of fun. It was easy. And you know, the best part was I worked off on a day shift during the summertime and no one came in. So oh, I was just, yeah. just around and watch movies. And then I, whenever you put a movie in the TV in, in the, in the VCR and you popped it on, the chances of that movie getting rented becomes 10 to 20 fold because all of a sudden you look like you're interested in the movie. They're yeah. caught by surprise. And I'm always like cursing under my breath. because like, I, I want to watch the rest of this. Don't take this way. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to give it to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I talked about this uh, somewhere within the last year. We had uh, the comedian Zach Amico on and he does, uh, uh, you know, he is a connoisseur of, of bad horror movies. He likes good horror movies, but, you know, he loves the bad ones even more. And we talked about the VHS for a film called Frankenhooker. And uh, this sounds like it might have been the era where you were there. Now, it, with the name, it might sound like, you know, it might be, you know, one of those movies that's behind the curtain. Yeah. But it, it was a little bit more of like a hard PG-13. It was probably an R, but like a soft R, you know what I'm saying? And so she's on the cover of the VHS box and there was a button you'd push and she would just say, want a date? And uh, <laughs> they had to put it like away from the, the people, not because of the movie, uh, just because they were tired, you know, in the local video store my town they didn't want people hitting the button all the time which was was me um <laughs> i'm yeah. embarrassed that i've never seen that nor the vhs box i don't know how that one slipped by but wow well did. you know what maybe you maybe you worked at a, a more higher caliber uh, <laughs> oh, no. video store than the one that i would go to in my town yeah i was in a town of like three thousand people a resort town in orange county new york called greenwood lake so yeah like my graduating high school class was 63 people and that's two towns put together and yet we oh had gosh. four we had four video stores, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and they, they, you know, they, they all did well enough that they were around for a while, you know, That's right. Uh, but in any case, so, uh, so that, and I don't think I realized that you started, uh, you know, the journalism side of, of film, you know, sort of uh, film critique and film reporting. Uh, I didn't realize you started that at the Pittsburgh uh, Post-Gazette. Uh, that was uh, something I learned about you. Uh, Actually, a and, Tribune Review. That was the oh. the poster. That was the bigger paper. Right. I was I was part of the smaller paper. But all right. Well, I, I'm proud of myself for remembering the name of one of the Pittsburgh papers. But yeah, <laughs> you so it. you were, but you did it in Pittsburgh because when uh, when we first crossed paths was uh, the old Dennis Miller radio show. You were writing for the Washington Times at that yes. point. So uh, and and I love the part of the story is that they had somebody that covered film 
So you just kind of, you know, you just kind of hung around and waited. You know, you, you tried to you tried to Wally Pip the uh, the actual <laughs> film reporter. And it really didn't work. I got a couple of reviews in, right. but I was mostly involved with the entertainment desk. So I was doing a lot of play reviews, opera reviews, all sorts of nonsense. But when I knew his I knew his vacation was lurking, I, I jumped into the <laughs> void and said, me, me, me. So I got some, I got a few reviews that way. Yeah, no, no, that's yeah, but that's great. And uh, so, uh, so a, a book like Virtue Bombs, um, it's it doesn't, it, it's not like it writes itself because I'm sure you spent a lot of time writing it. But our 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 pal Dennis Miller would talk about you know it's certain times that we live in. You just need to be mildly observant, and there's really a lot to take in. You know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of you know a lot of what you read. You know, it's a lot, this is one of those head nodding books where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember mm-hmm. this. And in a way, it feels like, you know, when you hear that when they paint the Golden Gate Bridge, it takes them so long, they get to the end and they got to go back to the other side and start again. Mm-hmm. So this feels like one of those books that you could have turned it in and been like, all right, but I have to like, mm-hmm. you know, now do the next 20 chapters. And, and, you know, even in the time since you sent it to me, you know, Rogan became such a bigger story, you know, and, uh, and, you know, there's just always, there's always something. So talk about, if there was one incident that was the breaking point where you were like, all right, this is going to make a, a book that I, I feel like I need to, uh, I need to write this. Well, I, I dial back a little bit. That was one of my sure. fears when I wrote the book, because I thought once the book goes to bed, as they say, yeah. what happens if there's really great stories that are you know happening after that? What do I do? And I, I was able to update things a little bit, but really it, it's, it's the culture that we're talking about. So whether the example is Rogan or Chappelle or J.K. Rowling or whatever, yeah. it's all part of a, a piece. So what I'm doing is, is I'm trying to describe these specific situations and hopefully kind of draw some connections between them and kind of take a, a larger view of what's going on in the culture. So I don't need every possible example to kind of illustrate what's going to happen tomorrow because you know what's going to happen tomorrow because it's what happened yesterday. Uh, so, and, you know, as far as the book itself goes, uh, a publisher, I was talking to a publisher about a, an unrelated topic, about some story I was working on. And he said, oh, you know, by the way, I know you, you know, I've, I've been following your work. We should do a book together. I thought, oh, that's very flattering. I've never written a book and really don't want to. But <laughs> when he mentioned that, I'm like, well, I probably should. You know, you always yeah. get, get just do one at least and then I'm done and I am done. Uh, but I thought, well, what I write about, because I don't want to, it's, there are specific, there are certain topics that are interesting, but maybe they don't have legs or maybe there are other ones where, you can get all the information out in three chapters and you're done. But the whole woke culture, this whole clamping down on free speech, it's what I've been really passionate about. And in an odd way, it's odd because I'm a right of center film critic, but I think much of what I'm discussing isn't right of center. It's more about expression and creativity and freedom and free speech. And so that attracted me as well. I mean, just to be another kind of Sean Hannity He's very successful. He does what he does. He's, he's far greater than me in many ways. But I didn't want to just write a political book in a sense. I wanted right, to write sure. something a little bit different than that. So, And what I hope is, and I don't even know if I got through with it all the way. I, I think it pick, it kind of it shines through at times. You know, I do love movies. I do love Hollywood. I do love meeting the actors who make this all possible. And I don't want to be a crank and I don't want to be a skull. But what I'm seeing now is really destructive, I think. And I think it's not just within the industry, but it, it sort of bleeds out. So into the world at large. So, you know, I want that to come out as well. So I I think there are people on the right who are, you know, uh, red meat, hardcore, angry. And, you know, at times I've become that and it may be unavoidable, but I also want to kind of put some uplift, which I do at the end. And also just say, 
the reason I steered my dumb career in this direction is because I love this stuff. I mean, I really, yeah. you know, when I, I love introducing dumb, stupid horror movies to my kids and, and talking about it and sharing it with them. It's great. Uh, we were just watching Shallow Hal a couple of days ago. And I told my son, you know, one of the things that women like in dating is confidence. And the main character was kind of building his confidence and becoming more attractive to women. Like there's a life lesson in this, in this silly movie, you know, yeah. with all the fat jokes and all the nonsense. So I, I, you know, this stuff matters to me. And, uh, I think I'm rambling, but one quick other point. No, yeah. I, I, I don't, this was not where I envisioned my career. This is not where I envisioned my life. And I don't really think of myself as a, like a, uh, a culture warrior. And it's odd, it's odd, odd because I worked at Breitbart years ago, you know, 10 yeah. years ago after Andrew Breitbart passed. And I think they were more hard charging, more culture warrior driven. And I wasn't that person. I, I kind of think the culture made me into that person. That's where I am today. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you've uh, I've seen you post about this on social media that uh, your your wife and your politics are not very well aligned. And uh, I think Just slightly askew. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's it's important because it's so easy to forget that yeah. uh, how easy it used to be to be like, yeah, I don't really agree with, with uh, you on that. And yeah. You can not just, you know, sh share a meal with someone. You can share a life with someone if you mm -hmm. don't agree on all that stuff. And it's, yeah. it, it, you know, look, the, the, the last few years, I'm, I'm counting all four of the Trump years and the past one, you know, so these last five years, it's been very hard to disagree with uh, people. And when you can find somebody that it's, you know, and that's why, you know, you reference Andrew Breitbart and, and people remember Andrew Breitbart in a very specific way. And the way that I remember him best, my favorite times with him are spending an afternoon at Dodger Stadium watching baseball. And, you know, and yeah, sometimes you talk about politics, but, you know, and when it's it, when it's not your whole life and, you know, and he loved to talk, you know, I, uh, somebody uh, posted uh, a memory of when uh, Andrew guest hosted the Dennis Miller show. And uh, we had uh, a couple of the guys from the band fishbone in there and they did not see eye to eye politically, but he loved the band so much. It was a great conversation and it's very hard to find those things anymore. And yeah. a difference of opinion is immediate, immediately, uh, you know, shoved out the door. And in a place like Hollywood, the difference of opinion is usually, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about your, you know, your Alex Jones survivor, uh, survivors, your Alex Jones subscribers, you know, mm -hmm. I, sort of even you're talking center, right. That can be considered crazy, you know, yeah. and just like, you know, I don't think that there's a place for you. And you talk to people for the book, right. Who had meetings and over the course of time, they realized like, this isn't going to fit my project, what they want to do. Right. Yeah, the behind-the-scenes chapter is interesting and chilling, too. Yeah, And I'm hearing that's one chapter I wish I could expand a little more because there have been more advances and more examples of what's happening within the industry. You know, I, I think I'm a white guy, and it didn't impact me like it did people of color, but I can look at Hollywood. I can look at older movies from 10, 20, 30 years ago and say, gee, they're not that diverse. Where, where were the sort of the people of color, you know, behind the scene, directing, writing? They weren't there. And I, I think Hollywood has a real, uh, a real guilty conscience, and I think they deserved a lot of it for not being as inclusive. But I, I think what's happening now is this, this aggressive overcorrection where I know a white comedian who's very funny and charming and does a lot of different voices, and he, you know, he should be a draw. But his agents and reps say, you're a white guy, can't do much with you because yeah. they, don't, they don't want you now. That's wrong. We, did, we don't want to go – we don't want to swing the pendulum that way. We want to say, hey, you know, Jordan Peele – 
I think he might have a good script in that get out story. Let's let's get that out there and see what the public thinks. We don't want the, oh, there's a white guy who happens to be male and straight. We're not going to give him an opportunity. That, that's that's wrong. You know, so it's, it's got to be a happy medium. Yeah, I mean, the, one of the more interesting things, one of the, the, the groundswells of support that didn't build was there was this idea when they first, when Disney first announced that Jon Favreau was going to do a Star Wars TV series mm -hmm. and it was going to be The Mandalorian. And there was, well, why did they give this to a white male? And then it's like, well, because look at his track record. Yeah. Look at the, and then in hindsight, it's like the only thing that Star Wars that people have been able to agree upon in maybe 30 years <laughs> is the series that he made. Yes. And, you know, and, and look, I think, you know, when you hear stuff like the, the NFL only meets with uh, black head coaches for the, for the, the sake of that they have to, that doesn't sound right. You should really consider people. And I am going to assume that it wasn't like, John Favreau was the only person they considered. I'm sure they thought about it. And then if you see the number of women that directed episodes of that show and just, you know, a lot of what they've done as a company with some of their other projects, it just, he was the right fit for it. Yeah. And that's one example where it didn't happen, but there are plenty of other examples where people have had to turn down roles. I mean, it, turned into a joke how many times uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson was playing a role of someone that was supposed to be Asian or you, know, <laughs> you write about the trans character she was going to yeah, play. Yeah. And like, I think she's a great actress. I think that different people playing different kinds of parts, you know, was more accepted, you know, it, it was okay to play a deaf character if you weren't mm -hmm. deaf. And uh, you know, I think that uh, I, I think there's, an extent to which I think inclusion is great. And I think it's always worth to consider people, but you should ultimately hire the, the best person for a job. And that doesn't always seem to be the case in front of the camera, behind the scenes. And look at the same time, like when you're doing, you know, when the, the movie version of uh, in the Heights, I don't think that there were probably a lot of like white actors that should have been like, I can't believe they didn't cast me for that <laughs> because it wasn't about you, yeah. you know, the West side story that was just out, it wasn't about you, you know? So it's, it's fine. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I think that it's, there's a, there's a point where I think you, you're right. The course correction was good, but just overcompensating it has led to a situation where I, I honestly don't know how you get out of it. You know, I don't know how you get away from, you know, Oh, can we tell this story about, you know, uh, uh, just a, a white male, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, and look, some of it's money, you know, because you had an example in there somewhere that was a, you know, one of those behind this, it's the same chapter where it's like, well, what can we do for people in China? And I think sometimes stuff like that is is based on inclusion. But when it comes to China, it's also like that's, you know, that's like billions of dollars we need to try and chase. Yeah. And it's also misguided. But I that one, at least you're like, well, that's that's the cold, hard facts of money. So how how how, you know, and you, again, you've talked to people for that chapter. You talk to people in, in different aspects of, of production. Uh, it seemed like it must be incredibly frustrating to go up against one, our studio, our executives are too woke. Two, we have to be able to sell this idea to you know a country that doesn't that doesn't even like our country really. Yeah, I, you know, I know I'm here to plug my book, but it's a great book out just a few weeks ago called Red Carpet. It's a fascinating, staggering look at the Hollywood China connection, right. and uh, that's sort of a, a topic too big to even get into here in greater detail. But I highly recommend that book. 
But yeah, you know, it's, and that's why a lot of the woke stuff drives me crazy because if at the end of the day, the people who are adherents to this woke philosophy, if they really want to make a better world, if they want to make a more inclusive world, if they wanted to kind of make society a kinder place, then they'd be more consistent. Yeah. And their their insane inconsistencies tell you that that's not really what they want. You know, I, I could say that Hollywood is noble and pure if they're fighting for gay rights. But then when a, a gay character or a scene is snipped out of a Chinese movie, they all hush and they go quiet. Which is it, guys? You got to you got to be consistent. So that's yeah. I mean, a, a good example to get it back to Disney was the the posters for the the J.J. Abrams Star Wars movies. Mm -hmm. uh, John Boyega would always be really small in yes. the back, and they it would be the same picture, but they would move it around. And yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's they're yeah they're very quick to understand. Uh, you know, to uh, not even understand to just look the other way for people that have uh, particularly deep pockets. Uh, comment in the chat that. Uh, you know, if somebody said this about me, I, I would be okay. And Dominica Saxon, is it just me or does Christian Total look like Edward Norton? I, mean, I met him once. He was much taller. I'm, I'm like 5'9", so everybody's tall to me. But. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but uh, on this show, we don't talk about Fight Club. So, uh, you know, we just have to move on from there. Uh, and uh, our pal, uh, Sam Whitfield, I'm not super far right. I love movies and cinema. Uh, and say, yeah, Sam's been on the show talking about James Bond movies and some others. Uh, but I don't feel like there's a place for me in the entertainment industry. And Sam, I don't think you're the only person that feels that way. Yeah. I mean, there is, you know, people are quick to point to like, well, you know, you you had your time, you had all of those movies. Uh, but I, I think that it, it overlooks the fact that, you know, there's just the idea that I see a lot of uh, children's uh, programming in my home because I have a, a six year old and a four year old. And, you know, there is it's great for my daughter that there's so much more focus on girls content mm. and you know and and you know some of the shows and the characters that she likes uh you know of course if she watches paw patrol her favorite is the girl and then like mm. yeah i get it you know it's fine but uh it, it it was a little harder for my son you know because and i don't know your kids are a little bit older but i don't know if if you ran into this where it's like well, where's the show that's like you know and really the the real task is like can i find a show that they both like to watch and that is almost impossible <laughs> yeah but, you know, my my older son is 13 yeah and he talks a lot about sort of the woke issues in entertainment as we're watching them and i've actually been really careful because my wife is left and i'm right i don't sure. go directly into that conversation many times so I asked him recently, where do you, where are you getting some of that? He says, oh, yeah, my, my friends at school talk about it. Oh, so yeah. like if a character is a certain ethnicity, they may their storyline may go in a certain direction, like that kind of a thing, which is actually when you get too involved with this, which I am, you can kind of sense where certain plots and characters are going because they, they, well, that, that's a person of color. The, the writer may not be willing to make him or her a bad person. So the chances are he's going to be a hero or she's going to be a hero. And often you're right. So, or there's a white male who might seem like, well, I don't know if he's the villain, but they probably would more be likely making that guy the villain just because the way the, the way this whole sentiment yeah. works and you're often right. So sort of a side subject, but it, it, yeah, I think it's the overcorrection that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's just another way. And, and again, it's, you know, as someone who has a daughter now, it's great that there's stuff for her, but mm -hmm. you just don't want your son to also get left behind, you know, yeah. and. Uh, you know, as a as a side hustle, I uh, I do read some coverage for, let's just say, a major studio. Uh, I read books, I read screenplays, and it's very clear what they're going for. 
uh, you know, in terms, it's a, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's for children's programming. It's, it's a yeah. lot of, uh, female characters that are, uh, are, are you know, some ethnicity, you know? And, and I think that is probably growing again, yeah. your, your uh, audience in terms of, you know, just having more money coming in, you know, having diverse, you know, and, and always merchandising but it's interesting it's like that's really what this studio is focused on you know yeah. all the time it's like everything i read it, it basically feels like it's a very narrow area of stories they're trying to tell some of them are very good you know i mean mm. one of them i, I don't think i don't even think it's not really a disclosure because it's based on a book there's it, it's like a uh it, it's a, a a high school african-american girl and she goes back in time in like her parents' lives. And it's very similar to Back to the Future, but I'm like, well, this is a great story. I hope that somebody makes this, you know, because that yeah, would yeah. be great. Because I think the funny thing about Back to the Future, and I didn't expect to talk about this, is you think about it now. So in that movie, Marty McFly goes back 30 years to 1955. Now we're more than 30 years past that movie. <laughs> so so if stop, we go back stop. 30 years, we're going back to 1985. Uh -huh. um, anyway, that was not what uh, what I had John to talk about, but it's just sort of you feel like the focus is and and look, I, I think a part of it is great. I, my wife is Chinese American. She was uh, elated when we saw Shang-Chi and she was sad that she's like, I wish I'd had something like this growing up. Mm -hmm. I wish there had been an Asian superhero. You know, it was really just Mulan. It yeah. was like, and that's something I can't appreciate directly. Yeah. Because that was not my experience. Sure. Uh, another reason you talk about steering in one direction, this is what they're going for. There's never been a point in our history where there's been more uh, platforms and services and channels and outlets and everyone's creating original content. There should be something for everybody. So the fact that if the you know Sam chimed in about being right of center and there's no home for him, that's a real that's a real uh, black mark on an industry. If the half the country, which is kind of right of center, half is left, that there's no place for them. There should be. We've never had a, a, such a, a cornucopia of, of outlets and, and content. Why can't there be a select amount of shows? If you want to, even if you kind of double down on right, left of center themes or memes or whatever, there should be plenty of content for the rest of us. That's why the whole Gutfeld show is so not surprising. Oh, every late night show is left of center. You put one right of center. It might do well. Gee, who who saw that coming? Well, everybody saw it coming, <laughs> except Hollywood, or they didn't want to see it coming. So, right? You know, that's, yeah, that's no, true. and I, I think that's a, and it's a great story because uh, obviously, you know, having had uh, Gutfeld on as a guest on the radio and uh, yeah. over the years, it's great to see, you know, just for him as the person, but also, yeah. it is something that you're just like, well, yeah, why, why is nobody else trying this? And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, the answer as to why, because it's, they don't want to speak to those people, you know? Yeah. And, and by the way, it, it, Greg is very talented, very yeah. funny, has built his audience. It, he's the perfect fit for this, but you know, I think you could have a mediocre talent, not someone as good as Greg and it, it may, he, he or she may still thrive in that arena just because, what else you got? If I'm a right of center person, I'm falling asleep at night. Do I want to, do I want the the Colbert, you know, rat a tat tat of talking points? Yeah. I, I don't want that, you know. No, and 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 I won't uh, attribute this to you, but let's just say that there are mediocre talents in some uh, avenues that do really well in I don't know subscription services. I'm not naming uh -huh. anyone, but there are people who do really well, and you're like, yeah, because and and you're absolutely right. Like you don't have to be the 
the Dave Chappelle or the Louis C.K. Well, you know, on stage of the right, you know, you you can be, you know, a, 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 a you know, not a headliner. You could be a, a middle as they say in the comedy mm. business and you can, because just people feel like, well, yeah, absolutely. And that's the beauty of podcasting. I mean, as I've found over the last decade is just, there's enough people out there that uh, some, if you find the right niche, people are excited to hear what you have to say. Um, I, you know, we, we referenced the Mandalorian uh, before, and I did want to talk about, it's an important point in your book, mm. uh, what happened to uh, Gina Carano uh, who was on that show. And I, I'm, I have to be quick to point out that uh, our mutual friend, Larry O'Connor, uh, he was really all worked up when that happened. And he said that she was the best thing on the show. And I had to say, like, Larry, you can be mad. This is not right. She's not the best thing on the show. <laughs> the best thing on the show <laughs> is the guy in the Boba Fett uniform. The second best is Baby Yoda. But she was a great part of that show. And it, you know, it, uh, you know, it continued without her uh, in, in the form of the, the episodes of the Boba Fett series that were Mandalorian episodes, essentially. But uh, it, it is a loss to have it. And, you know, reading that chapter, I remember thinking, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, Disney did tell her, like, you should back off before they did it. But there's plenty of other instances where people don't back off. But because of what their politics are, what happened to her isn't what happens. I, personally, I just feel like you should never invoke the Holocaust in anything if you work for a company like Disney, but that she felt, you know, and she's entitled to feel more strongly than that. But uh, talk a little bit about, you know, your thoughts on that and, and why that's such an important part of the book. Yeah. I mean, it's a case example. First of all, there's so many things. And by the way, there's a, um, an excerpt about the Gina Carano chapter. It's gosh, I, I it may be for real clear politics, um, I think that's where it went. I had a couple of excerpts in different arenas, but you can, you can get most of that chapter on, you know, online right now. Okay. So here's an actress. Um, she appears either writer center or even just sort of a, uh, a rabble rouser and some of the things that she shares on social media, Sure, yeah. but she's not vicious. She's not cruel. She's not wishing injuries on people. Uh, but she kind of defies the group thinking she's warned not to do it by her company and she keeps on doing it. Now, you could say, well, they warned her and then she did it. And I agree. I, Holocaust, I so rarely go there, although I think what she was saying was more empathetic. It wasn't like, you know, you know, sharp elbowed. But I just point to Bette Midler. Bette Midler is uh, currently shooting or wrapping up a Disney Plus movie, a Hocus Pocus sequel, which I, I can't wait not to see because I, I missed the first one. And, you know, she has <laughs> said horrible things yeah. on Twitter consistently. Yeah. And she's wished ill on Senator Rand Paul multiple times, cheering on the guy who nearly killed him. He had some significant injuries from that attack. Just Google it if you want. To yeah, I mean that wasn't like you know Letterman used to always broke about joke about the woman who broke into his house. Right, it, right. it wasn't like that. It, like no, you know, it, when I first heard about his neighbor, I'm like, oh, okay. And then you went, yeah, but yeah, it was very serious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you know, when someone like that is not warned, is not castigated is not punished by Disney. In fact, they just ignore it. And yet Gina Carano, who did something that was less mean, is kicked out. It's obvious what's going on, you know? So you've got a, you've got Disney, which ignores the the, the Uyghur Muslims in, in China and, and, you know, plays footsie with China to get the Chinese money. And then they've got a, 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 a female character, an actress, who says things that they don't like, but maybe half the country either agrees with or doesn't have any problem with, and they fire her. It was a terrible situation. And, you know, I, I contribute to the Daily Wire, so I, I have a little dog in this fight, but I would be saying this, even if I didn't, I'm just stunned and happy 
that they kind of swooped in and said, hey, well, let's get in the Gina Carano business. We'll make a movie with you. You can produce it. I mean, I think that was wonderful because it's wrong what they did to her. And it's I, I want to just mention quickly that the Hollywood feminists, the, the people, the strong, the power, they, they marched four times during the Trump years. They didn't say a bloody word when Gina Carano was fired. Yeah. And they are cowards. And how dare they? Because they should have had her back. They should have been on the front line saying, you know what? I don't even agree with what Gina Carano said, but you can't fire someone from a, for a, a social media message like that. She's allowed to have thoughts and opinions like we all do. And by the way, Pedro Pascal, who is the Mandalorian, used a Nazi reference against Trump voters roughly around the same time that Gina Carano did. And of course, nothing happened to him because you can you can make fun of Trump supporters. That's that's Hollywood. That's woke. It's all it's all about power and politics. It's not about making the world a better place. Yeah. And I would uh, I would love to be able to sit here and uh, say to you like, oh, no, 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 it's not that cut and dried. Unfortunately, it is. It really, it really, it, it really it, is. It, yeah. And uh, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, obviously you talked about your time at Breitbart. So you have a couple of uh, great quotes from the great John Nolte in your mm-hmm. book. And uh, I just I, I actually wrote this down word for word in my notes. I want to make sure I get it right. So uh, as he's talking to you, he says, we're in a terrible place where busybodies, snitches and pious scolds, the very people Hollywood taught us to laugh at for 100 years are portrayed as virtuous. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I mean, and nobody turns a phrase like John Nolte. And uh, it, it, it's uh, always a, a nice reminder. And uh, I. I haven't I haven't spoken to him in a little while, but when he reviewed the uh, Sopranos movie, The Many Saints of Newark, I had to write to him because I was just like, hey, you like every thought in my head <laughs> you put there and you said it so much better than I ever yeah. could. But uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, he's absolutely right. It's it, it, it's like the, the squares are in charge now. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's done. It's done terrible things to uh, uh, to comedy. I have a comedian friend who feels she feels very strongly. She says cancel culture isn't real; it's accountability culture. And I think there's a there's a kernel of what she says I do agree with. I'm like, but also it is real because you have people who basically are determined to really destroy people. I mean, you know. Shane Gillis, who's very funny, got hired for SNL uh, and he didn't get fired because uh, someone at NBC found out about something that he said in a podcast. Uh, It was, uh, yeah, it was just, let's just say it was this guy who lives for this kind of stuff and was really quick to turn it all over and make sure it was all public. And then, you know, and that's not the first person that that happened to. And you know, interestingly enough, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Yang, who ran for president, also ran for uh, for mayor of New York City, uh, spoke with him and he has had, he's had nice things to say sort of about, you know, Shane Gillis, about, you know, who he really is and not just making a bad joke, uh, making a bad joke. And look, there there's a line. There's there's always a line. But in general, it seems like you, you can't even bomb anymore you know, in terms of like, just, you know, a joke that just doesn't land well. I'm not talking about Michael Richards up on stage using the N word, <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know, but just like, all right, it, it, it's uh, saying, you know, so talk a little bit about this sort of, you know, I'm using him, Shane Gillis as the example, mm-hmm. but just this idea of, you know, we don't want anybody who pushes the envelope. We don't want anybody who's edgy, you know, we, we would just, can we just get some vanilla talent and go ahead and put that on TV? Well, it's so sad. It's one of the reasons why there are no 
I guess Free Guy is probably the last big screen comedy that was pretty successful, pretty legitimately funny. Yeah, Certainly I thought it was a, funny. Yeah, not absolutely. an R-rated movie, but sort of yeah. you know the days of the the body R-rated comedy are, are almost over. Vacation Friends was on Hulu, but it was pretty weak. But yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, a comedian is not your mayor, your governor, or your president. They have no power. They have no sway. They're trying to make us laugh. Sometimes they go too far. Sometimes they try things. They often say that uh, you know comedians use the, the stage as like a workshop. They'll tell a joke today and maybe it bombs. And then tomorrow they'll tweak it. Maybe it does better. Then the next week they try it with a different, different audience, different ver uh, phrasing, and it kills. That's the way comedy often works. And I think that often comedians will, and not everyone, you know, Jerry Seinfeld is not changing the world. He's not sort of changing the way we think about certain topics, but Dave Chappelle sure does. Um, his, not his last special, but, but the one before it, I remember thinking, gosh, that joke made me uncomfortable. Or that joke I disagreed with, with, with what he was saying. But like, hey, who cares? <laughs> I can disagree with Dave Chappelle and he can disagree with me. But he also is challenging the way I perceive certain ideas and, and, and arguments and making me sort of think about them again, and maybe in a fresh way. And I think sometimes the best com the comedians do that. The best satirists do it. You know, it, you know, when you watch Stephen Colbert now, it's so toothless because you know exactly what he's going to say. You know the exact angle, and often it's not even remotely funny. So we're in this weird place where comedians are held to this extreme high standard, and yet, you know, I'm still aghast that New York. I'm from New York. I'm a New York native. The fact that New Yorkers didn't throw Governor Cuomo out on his bum instantly when there were a, a potpourri of scandals, one more disgusting yeah. than the next, were raining down on him. And he's already kind of flirting with a little bit of a political comeback, which is very possible. So you've got a Shane Gillis who said his Asian, that the, the rant he went on was bizarre. It wasn't really remotely funny. I don't know what he was doing. I did hear that he may have, there may have been some context that helped explain it a bit, but let's just yeah. say it wasn't. Yeah, but well, even was, without it. Yeah. yeah, even without it. You know, if you followed him on his day-to-day -day journeys, my guess, my hunch, is that whenever he meets an Asian person, he probably teach, treats them like every other person and doesn't discriminate. And, you know, you can tell a joke that's maybe racially charged, and it doesn't mean you're a bigot or a monster. It may mean you thought it was funny. You may thought you may just want it to upset people. You know, some of comedians just, like, say the wrong thing. Uh, or because the, you're expected them to say the right thing. This sort of this misdirection is a key part of comedy too. Um, a, a great example is Roseanne Barr. She had that disgusting tweet about uh, Valerie Jarrett. But then I heard, you know, a little while later that Norm Macdonald said that, you know, when we were in the writing room, Roseanne would go out of her way to hire people of color in the writing yeah. room. What what matters more? The, the superstar who hires people from different backgrounds to elevate them or one gross tweet for which she apologized immediately for. And, and it's such a sick society we live in now that the tweet obviously matters more than hiring people of color. Yeah, no, and and, and that's really, I, I think that that defines it right there. It's uh, what happens on, on Twitter and social media is, is you know, the scales of uh, justice way heavier when yeah. it's the social media, uh, you know, misdeed. Uh, one of the things you reference is that, uh, you know, there was this documentary uh, a couple of years ago, the the problem with the poo. And uh -huh. that led to The Simpsons, uh, you know, recasting the voice of Apu uh, from Hank Azaria. And I thought I was reading your book at the time and a week or two ago. Uh, a comedian named Akash Singh, who's very funny and who also had just the great luck 
that he was booked on Joe Rogan's show after the the Monday after the weekend where there was the video that uh, he had to address. So uh, good for him. But he is of uh, of Indian descent. And the reason why I mention it is because he has sort of this idea of like, no, bring back a poo. Like he was like, this was the only Indian guy on TV. And by the way, it's like the only Indian character I've ever seen that's in a that's in a happy marriage with yeah. an Indian woman. And they have eight kids on the show, you know, and Apu is probably the smartest person in Springfield, despite the fact that he works at the Quickie Mart. So he's this great character. And I think when that first came up, the impression was that the character was going to go away. And then it's like, well, nobody, I think, I don't think that helps anybody. And then I, when Hank Azaria gets to a point where he's like, well, I can't do it anymore. You know, I, I understand him feeling the pressure of it. And I honestly, I haven't watched the Simpsons in quite a while. So yeah. I don't know how the new voice sounds, but I don't think there is an Apu anymore. Okay. We'll so have to yeah, double check yeah. that. But I kind of think they just, they were, it became so radioactive. I don't know if he's back. Because okay. I don't even remember a, I don't remember hearing any, you know, Fred Jones is now the new voice of right, Apu, sure. like kind of a thing. I don't think that, I don't think that new cycle happened. Okay. I think no, no. You're, and you're right. I, I, thought that maybe that's where they were going but that's kind of the point if if he's gone that's the worst thing that can happen to it because you had like even now you still don't have a lot of representation of mm-hmm. uh of indian characters and uh you know and and akash singh was talking about it. it's a lot of times you're you know it's an indian guy who is in an arranged marriage that they hate and they secretly want to be with a white woman that's a story that he's seen a lot and it's like well this is great this is a really happy guy and he's they have eight kids and it's uh so you can really i think including a poo into it yes it's a very stereotype sort of character the voice i understand that criticism but it was good representation in the nineties to have a poo on our television, you know? And also and then, I think we over, I think we over um, emphasize the impact of a poo. Like, Oh, yeah. so he got bullied, but I, I'm going to guess that those kids were going to bully him anyway. They didn't say <laughs> they weren't like just sweet, nice kids. And then they saw a poo yeah. and go, man, that kid, that Indian kid in my class, I'm going to beat the heck out of that kid. Cause I yeah. saw a poo. They would have just called him short or called him fat or called him ugly or, like, I, I don't know, I, I, this whole thing where we have to kind of watch so carefully, I, 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 you know, we live in a free culture, we live in free speech zone, and we can tell these stories. And obviously, there was like almost no, to my knowledge, backlash against Apu until that comedian did the documentary. I don't think everyone was, was raging against him. And I think he was a small business owner, by the way, throw that in the wind column. Yeah, he, he owns you a Quickie Mart, you know, and... Uh, I mean, he got to meet with Paul McCartney in an episode, you know, <laughs> because they were both vegetarians, you know, and I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, Apu had a great run. And uh, I just, uh, I, I think it's great that, you know, and I, it's funny because I remember Akash Singh's name because I just heard him. I don't remember the comedian who did that documentary. Uh-huh. And I think having that conversation is fine. It's just unfortunate that there, you know, that anything I, I think it's great to have conversations where people call things into question when yeah, people disagree. Yeah. That's fine. It's very hard to do anymore, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah. But it's when people take up in arms about things that it's, you know, it's like, okay, so uh, we're going to do away with that. And look, I, you know, I mentioned before my wife is a Chinese American and, you know, 
uh, she grew up watching John Hughes movies, specifically 16 Candles. And there is that character, Long Doc Dong, in there where it is it is incredibly it has not aged well. It is a very racist character. Yeah. She would see that with her family and they would laugh. But then she thought about it when she got a little older and she felt bad. And I'm like, well, that's certainly worth talking about. Mm. I don't know that that should mean that no one's able to watch 16 Candles anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't quite know. Today. I don't quite know what the fix is. You, you referenced in the book about putting some warnings behind ahead of some movies and boy, Disney did that with everything on Disney plus, mm-hmm. but, and I think, you know, putting a warning ahead of something, if you don't change the content, I think it, it should be okay. And honestly, it's like when we were kids and you'd put the parental advisory stickers on a CD and you're like, well, clearly that's the best CD in the store. <laughs> I want that one. But what do you think sort of about, you know, I, I don't like the idea of going back and removing old content. I mean, yeah. there's probably exceptions, but I, you know, off the top of my head, I mean, it's like, I think there's value, I, you know, in a TV class I had in college, we watched an episode of the the TV Amos and Andy show. And I think it was important. I think yeah. people should be able to see stuff like that and at least understand it, you know? Well, I mean, I think the fact that we get triggered and we need a safe space for, for dealing with controversial or edgy or dated or racist material, I, mean, I think we should be adults about it and say, okay, let's have the discussion. Why do they, why would this not happen today? Yeah. What elements of that show were offensive? I, I mean, I, we, we should all be adults and we should all have thicker skin because life is bloody hard. You know, my wife is, went through cancer last year. We've been dealing with a new cancer scare that we got to, just before we before I picked up the microphone, it's looking better than I thought it was. That's we're all right. scared to death. I don't give a damn about uh, a, a joke that makes it, that offends me. You know, there's, there's such bigger stuff at play. And maybe, maybe it's a sign of societal decay that we ignore the bad things. They're truly bad things. And we focus on these nonsensical things that matter. And, you know, as, as far as the warnings go, though, I think if they happened in a vacuum, I, I don't think I'd care. But they're not happening in a vacuum. You know, uh, Gone with the Wind got yanked briefly from yeah, HBO Max. Gone. Yeah. It did come back and with warnings and a whole, like, teachable little screed at the beginning. But we're not looking at a culture where it's it's forgiving. I mean, you know, the late 90, late eighties and the early nineties when those record labels went on, it was a different time, you know. And you could argue back and forth whether it was right, it was wrong. And I, I think there should should be a movie about you know John Denver, Frank Zappa, and uh, Dee Snyder heading up to Capitol Hill. I think it'd be amazing. Uh, so use that Hollywood if you want. But yeah, no, you know, I, I, yeah, I agree. And and of course, by the way, just the quick aside, it's very easy to forget that the villain in that story, of course, was Tipper Gore. Tipper Gore, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the well, I don't know what you are when you're the when you're the vice president's wife. Are you the second lady? But anyway, you know, yeah. The, yeah, you know, there was some uh, bipartisan labeling, I think, of that era. So yeah. maybe that was a sign of good things that we we all got along. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody could agree that you shouldn't yeah. uh, you shouldn't listen to the uh, Twisted Sisters yeah. Stay Hungry album. <laughs> but you know there are Dr. Seuss books you can no longer buy. There yeah. are uh, one of the I think it was uh, Ong and Bach. It's a it's a kids book. I think I have it in the house. We bought it before the the cancellation acts came down. That's now been deemed offensive. Yeah, we we have if if I ran the zoo, which is yeah. one. There's uh, yeah, it was, it was a gift from from friends, and and then I realized I'm like oh, this book is I, this yeah. book is worth like nine hundred dollars. <laughs> there were blackface episodes which have been canceled, gone from history. You know, so we're living in a, in a time where if the woke movement gets supercharged again, like it did during after the George Floyd death, who knows what goes next? Who knows what's go what goes away? 
so you know the warning labels are, are they kind of scare me. I, I got to be honest with you because they because it, it you know I think the slippery slope argument is often silly, but I don't think we're living in a slippery slopes or silly time. I think we're seeing slippery slopes that are you know coated with uh, <laughs> with Vaseline and all sorts of lubricants to make it even faster. I just do. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, look at service like Disney plus, if you, you know, we have separate logins, we have one for my kids. And as I mentioned, they're six and four. So there's content that doesn't show up in there. Yeah. Uh, it, interestingly, sometimes it's surprising what I have to like, then go log into mine to find, but in a way mm -hmm. I appreciate the attempt. Uh, the one that I really need that for is uh, HBO max. The fact that there is a, a children's like control, uh, because I mean, I know what I, you know, the access that I had to HBO as a kid was, uh, <laughs> was definitely unfettered and probably, you know, I, I think I turned out okay, but I don't need my, I don't need my six-year-old seeing some of the stuff that I found. And you know, now it's so much more readily available. It was basically, we would go into HBO max and he would see that I had been watching South park and he would just say South park. And I'm like, he's like, I'm like, he recognizes that's a cartoon. I'm like, he can't watch that. You know, yeah. <laughs> not at, not at six, <laughs> maybe your, maybe your oldest can watch it but even even then you know well i don't know because you guys live in colorado that probably feels like it's <laughs> yeah. it, it's like a documentary <laughs> it's part of our culture <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but uh you know it, it's a good point it is something to think about mm. uh i think i i here's the thing is i would rather gone with the wind have some kind of disclaimer or something than it goes away entirely yeah. but you know, it, it, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, one, quick, one quick point. I suspect, I don't know this. This is just a guess, but maybe kind of a semi-educated guess that the reason why Apu isn't back is because what do you do with him? That character is yeah. going to be under the microscope. And it's funny, I think, gosh, it might've been the comedian who led to the cancellation of the character, at least under, you know, Hank Azaria's version. He was describing what you could do with the character. And none of his descriptions were remotely funny or interesting or engaging. I'm like, well, you really want to do that? You want to make a, a, a show that's been on for about a million years and make it not funny because it's going to fit your worldview? Is that what we do? So maybe they can't make funny scenarios because they know they're going to be under the microscope and they just say, ah, screw it. We'll leave them out. Yeah. We'll, we'll do, uh, uh, what's his name? Willie, the, uh, the stereotypically oh, Scottish groundskeeper. groundskeeper. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. You don't get the the outrage over groundskeeper Willie or the Fighting Irish logo. You know, it's uh, <laughs> you get that. Uh, and because we've mentioned it a few times, I guess that comedian's name was Harry Condablu, uh, and I don't think I said it right, but mm -hmm. it is very easy to not remember because he's just the guy who did the documentary about a poo. And then just looking it up so that we could talk about it. it yeah, yeah. It's, that was 2017. So that's like five years ago now. I can't believe it's that long ago. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. I guess I feel like we'll get more of that. And, you know, here's the thing, I guess once you're right, once a character like a poo is under the microscope, mm. his, whoever's doing that voice, I mean, it is very, it, you know, it can be considered stereotypical for him to say, you know, you always said, come again, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it, in that voice. So, yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, I guess it's easy enough when your show's been on for 30 plus years and you have enough characters to choose from, you can, mm -hmm. you can, uh, you know, move away from a few of them, but I don't, uh, I don't quite know what the, what the fix is there um, in terms of, talk you know you've been out there this book came out a couple months ago you've been out there talking about it for a while and i'm sort of interested mm. 
have has there been much pushback where you know whether it's in an interview or just somebody who read it on social media ha, ha, it, do you find that there's something consistently that you're hearing and it doesn't have to be from the left it could even be somebody that's also center right like yourself is there something that you think that people feel like oh you got you're a little carried away with this or in general has the feedback really been like oh yeah this is all the stuff that i've seen going on over the last you know decade or so I hate to say this, but it's been universally, consistently positive. But I also yeah. think that part of the problem is that the people who I'd love to read it, who maybe disagree with me, haven't read it. That's my yeah, guess. That's I'd love to. I'd love to have that feedback. I'd love to have a back and forth. And if if I find someone who doesn't like my book or has some real issues, I, I, I'm probably invite them on my podcast. I just interviewed a, a pretty left of center film critic, who's a nice fellow. We, we've kind of chatted in the past a little bit, but I want to get more into that. Like have people with differing views on my show, maybe even just, you know, interview on my website and just kind of have those conversations because uh, I think they're important. And I, I, I hope, and I'm, I'm keeping them as extremely civil, not kind of going, yeah. not going off on tangents or attacking or anything, because I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I think that'll do more damage than good, but uh, yeah, I would love people to kind of have uh, feedback on the book that maybe I didn't think of, or maybe, you know, I missed a spot or something, but I, you know, I, Everything I've read is sort of like, yeah, that's what's going on. Some people called it chilling. Some people have enjoyed it. One guy read it and is rereading it now as we speak. I thought that was kind of crazy, but <laughs> God bless him. So, yeah, uh, yeah I don't, I don't know. I, uh, I, you know, I tried to write it as entertainingly as possible. I don't want to be dry. Uh, there's some quips in there and things like that. So I don't, you know. No. So. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things, and, and you didn't make this uh, comparison, but, uh, you know, I, I, I was thinking a lot about the, uh, you know, last fall, there was what I thought was a, was a good Ghostbusters reboot in uh, yeah. Afterlife. And, uh, but your book talks about what I think is universally seen as not a good reboot, which was the all female one, which the fact that it was all female, I don't, think was the problem i think that those are some very talented very funny women i just think that the script was not great yeah, and yeah. its approach didn't work so you also in the book talk about why wonder woman did work so well and obviously they're very different properties but if you had to isolate it what is it fundamentally what was the problem with ghostbusters was it as simple as well you took it and you made them all girls because for me it's somewhere beyond that mm -hmm. you know even if you're like this is who's going to be in it you had the cast first and then wrote the script that's still not the problem but mm -hmm. what do you think is the fundamental problem with why that ghostbusters didn't work i have a bland answer but i think hopefully a better follow-up one was good, one was not good. I think with the Ghostbusters film, I think there was the sense maybe across the board that they didn't have a killer product. And yeah. I think they kind of went, they kind of leaned into the victim status pretty darn quickly. And I also think that if there was all the negative buzz and the, and the Comic-Con gang was not happy and we want our old Ghostbusters back and, you know, it's four guys, not four ladies. Yeah. I think that mostly goes away if they drop a really funny, really hip, really clever trailer, I think it just crushes the bad buzz. But they dropped the trailer that stunk, and it was bad. And then people, like, pounced on it. So, I, And I think with the, the, the Wonder Woman film, the, a year later, it's a really good movie. Gal Gadot was so insanely perfect in that role in so many ways. Not just she's pretty, obviously, but she's good comic chops, and she's a good action heroine, and she's believable and in this unbelievable role. 
I, I kind of just get the sense that sometimes when the when you take up the woke brigade, there's a sense that the product in question just isn't up to snuff and you need a plan B. And, and it was so funny because the whole Ghostbusters calamity happened just before Wonder Woman, you know, again, like a year or so. Yeah, after. about a year. Yeah. And so I was waiting for the, oh, they're going to do the whole Ghostbusters routine. You know, we need a female hero and this is empowering and how dare you critique it. And if you don't love, love the trailer, then maybe you hate women. They didn't do any of that. And Gal Gadot didn't do any of that. She's a pretty apolitical star. And it was good. Conversely, the sequel was terrible. Oh, so, when, I don't when, know what when, happened when, there. So when, you know, one of the worst movies I, I, I've seen. And that was like, yeah. uh, like indoor movie theaters weren't open in Los Angeles at that point. And we went to go see it at the drive-in and we were so excited. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, you know, we were able to get popcorn. We were able to be there and watch the movies. So I was like, everything about the movie going experience was great, except for the movie that they showed us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, so I can't, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to know why a film isn't good or why a film is good. There's so many different factors, you know, it, it's, and again, if they could, people smarter than me, if they could figure it out, they'd be doing it and they'd be fixing it and we'd have all great movies. Yeah. But I do think there's sometimes there's this sense of when we're not confident in the finished product, we, we need some sort of uh, attack mechanism. That, that was my sense. And the media played right along. I mean, the Washington post was barking at anybody who didn't love the movie sight unseen. And then there was sort of a, as I mentioned in the book, sort of a whisper of, the reality from deadline.com after the movie opened poorly or just open weekly. And they said, yeah, this is not what people were looking for. Maybe this was the wrong approach. So. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great point. And uh, you know, I think that the, the fact that when people did actually see the movie, I think that's when it was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) I guess. And you know, the funny thing you're talking about uh, wonder woman, of course you had built in the fact that she stole a movie called batman versus superman from both batman and superman yeah yeah. and it's like the best parts of that movie whatever people think of that movie and there's a boy is there a a wide range of opinions on that Mm -hmm. movie uh everybody was like yeah but wonder woman was great you know Mm -hmm. and uh i think that's really what it comes down to uh let's see we have our pal uh farad muhammad uh, that first trailer was awful. The messaging was all over the place. The movie was a reboot and a remake, but the trailer had title cards that made it look like it would be a sequel. Uh, I think that the the casting of Chris Hemsworth, I think, was the one thing I liked about that movie. I thought that uh, his part was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, um, I, I remember watching it. Look, it wasn't as bad as Wonder Woman 1984. It was not like the no, worst. No, I agree. I completely agree. It, it, just wasn't, it just wasn't good. And it wasn't, you know, it was just like, oh, it's kind of a letdown, you know. Um, but I don't know what was missing from it. Uh, but but I, I also think that audiences right now are getting more annoyed at the woke marketing. Look at the, the last James Bond movie, which I did not think was woke at all. You could pick the movie itself. I, I don't yeah. think it was. No, no, no. Not but the marketing for like a year and a half, and it was delayed because of the pandemic. <laughs> That's true. The, mar- know, the marketing went on for like Sean Connery years. was a rapist in the early Bond films. And yeah. these are not Bond girls. You can't use that term anymore. And, you know, the new 007 is a black female agent. And she was, but she was integrated beautifully in the story. I didn't didn't have a look at problem with that yeah that was actually one of the things we talked about on the show actually with yeah. uh, our pal sam whitfield is that going into it i think that that was the character where we're like oh what's this gonna be but she was actually great i thought the new uh-huh. 007 she was fine I, so- I thought that movie was good but yeah you're right the the marketing and i, I think that that's what we're seeing you used an example of a movie in the book now i forget because i didn't take a note on it but there the marketing only featured 
women that were in the cast and i, I can't remember what it was terminator but, dark fate yeah that's it yeah and that that's the most recent one so you have arnold in it but it's like yeah let's forget about arnold yeah, yeah, listen, Sarah Connor comes back. That's cool. That's great. Her front and center. Yeah. Then these two other women who obviously definitely had a role in the movie, but you got Schwarzenegger, who's been a star for 40 years. He's kind of a draw, I think. I mean, if you're going to make a Terminator movie. I, th I mean, if, yeah, exactly. Plus, he's great in the movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, right. It was exactly. awesome. So, and, yeah, and that, that's a great example like this, where it's it, like, why wouldn't you put him in there? You know, yeah. I mean, if this was like, you know, the. I guess the if this had been like the year where the the story about uh, his housekeeper and the love child if it, if it was that year, okay, I get it. Yeah, but it's yeah. like he's been in a bunch of movies since then, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, and and I don't know. I mean, I think that sometimes it's the marketing. You know, a good example. You know, we're talking about the Wonder Woman movie, the uh, Birds of Prey movie. I thought was not particularly good. I think that there, you know, you had a good character in it and some of the other characters were okay, but just the movie itself wasn't good. And I don't think that that movie didn't, you know, I mean, a, a Harley Quinn movie ought to have done well, but some, for some reason that one didn't, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. That I, had a little bit of Ghostbusters, like a whiff of that marketing. Yeah. I know you and McGregor was doing the talk show circuits about how the women are now in charge and like, you know, just, you know, you could say it's a good movie and stuff, but stop pandering to us and stuff, you know. And I think often, and this was an example with the uh, the Avengers movie, Endgame, sometimes the pandering actually pisses off the people it's supposed to be appealing to. You know, the, the Mary Sue, is, which is sort of the off-the-charts, super-woke website, they were grumpy about that all-female Avengers moment in the Endgame movie. Like, even they didn't like it. Even they saw it was pandering. So you got to be, with sometimes the woke goes into overdrive and it, it pleases no one instead of pleasing just some people. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Mary Sue because I remember early in the book you reference the uh, Bechdel test, which I think a lot of people don't know what it is. And it seems like it, it seems like such a it's not a great way to uh, to determine the value of of something is. But I guess it's it, it are two women in a scene together where they're not talking about a man. And uh, I I think that uh, you know that's something that I, I look I can understand that existing but it's also like that shouldn't make or break your movie because it, what if the movie just isn't about the women you know what yeah. i mean like you know i think i'm gonna if i had to guess american pie probably doesn't pass that because the scenes with the girls who in the first one they were well cast and i think that the girl characters are actually good in the first american pie i'm only talking about the first one mm. and uh but they're probably mostly talking about guys in it but i think it's it's still it's it's their story and you know, you have sort of, I, I think if you're, you know, if, if, if you're writing papers for media studies and you're applying things like that, I think it's fine, but I don't think that that should become a determining factor of like, well, this script should get made, you know? Yeah. And I think when you, when you apply academics to the creative side, I think that uh, good things can't happen basically, you know? One of the most shocking examples to me, and this was happened, this might be five or six years ago, is there was a movie called Neighbors a few years back with uh, Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen. I thought it was very funny. Oh, yeah, sort I remember of, that. Yeah. A new young couple, they move in next to a fraternity house and all that. Yeah. Kind of it was good laugh. Yeah, Zach Efron was in it. Yeah, yeah. I remember that movie. Very yeah. strong. And then they made a sequel, and it wasn't very funny. It was called no. Sorority Rising. <laughs> and then right. I read, it was not good, yeah. No, it was not good. It made no money either. And I yeah. read about the production, sort of the behind the scenes, and how they basically hired these two female script writers to oversee the project to make sure it was empowering. And, and I'm thinking, 
you make it a, a raunchy R-rated sex comedy with drinking and drugs and all sorts of mayhem. Does that have to be empowering or does that have to be funny? Because if you want to go yeah. the empowering route, it makes it maybe a little harder to be funny. And if you could do both, I guess God bless you. But it, it just seemed like such a colossal mistake to kind of you know look to that movie and that franchise. And it's, no, it's a franchise no more. They killed this the whole thing. Yeah. To, as you know, well, we need them empowered. You know, I, I I don't want every female character to be terrible and to be thin and to be uh, wimpy or whatever. I've got women. Everyone has women in life that they care about. And they want to you know be well represented, but it just seemed bizarre to kind of that's the that's the hill to die on, and the franchise died as a result. You know, it's interesting because it's somebody who is uh, so vilified now, but there was an episode of uh, Louis C.K.'s show where Louis becomes, he start, yeah, I know, but he starts dating a, a, a heavy comedian and it's such a well-written character because it's real, you know, and it, it was, you don't usually, you know, usually it's, if you're a, a heavier actress, you're going to be the fat best friend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you might get a lead like Rebel Wilson, but then, you know, that's few and far between. There's not a lot of Rebel Wilson's out there. And I haven't seen her since Cats. I hope she's okay. You know, <laughs> I, I worry about everyone who was in Cats, because, <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, you know, and it's, uh, you don't have that sort of wide representation of female characters, I think. And it's, it, you know, it's interesting because you're turning so many like comic books and things into movies and TV shows, but a place where you would have really great, strong female characters would be a comic book like the X-Men. Mm. And where at one point the character, it was like, it was like six women and Wolverine was basically the team, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, you don't think that they learned the lessons from like what worked, you know? And it should be, I mean, look, it's the same studio. You should know why wonder woman works, why birds of prey didn't work as well. And honestly, why the second wonder woman didn't work. It's, it's very simple. This is a bad script. Yeah. But... I've been obsessed with uh, modern family in recent months. My, my whole family has been rewatching the show. Sure. I think we've circled back. We may be rewatching shows we just watched, but the show's so good we don't care. Yeah. And I, and I think about how they represented different groups and the gay character, Cam and Mitch, who I, I, I couldn't love anymore. They're yeah, just they're so great. adorable and sweet. And, but they're deeply, deeply flawed in many interesting ways. And all the different yeah. characters have their own flaws. And I think, well, here's two gay characters. One is a straight actor playing a gay character. So that's already sort of a, a no-no. But I wonder if it's written today, would they be that deeply flawed? Because it made him so relatable and so human and so, and so endearing. And, and that's why the Apu thing bugs me because, you know, I, we want to go to a place where you can have a black female lesbian character who's evil or good or in between. Like I want all the shades of the storytelling arc in these characters. That's that's equality. But I think if we're afraid to kind of go there in certain areas because they'll be, you know, because the there'll be an outrage about it. And that's, that's wrong. You know, people are still complaining about silence of the lambs and the, the killer is a trans figure, or I, I don't know the very specifics, but it, that movie has been vilified for that character for 30, 30 years. And it's one of the best horror movies of all time. It's one of the best movies of all time. And I, and I believe it's based on a real serial killer. Right. So do that with, so the, you had a movie skin, yeah. with a, 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 Let's just say it's a trans person. I don't know the exact, forgive me for that. Let's just, for argument's sake, say it's a yeah. trans figure. Who's the monster? Who's the villain? Who's the killer? So what? I mean, the the, the broader argument is let's, let's do other stories where the trans person is a, a scholar 
or a cop or a fire person or another killer. You know, I, we, I don't I don't want creativity to be to kind of be clamped down. I want it to flow. I want it to you know blossom. And, you know, and if there are trans people in Hollywood writing stories, then they'll probably write stories where they're more heroic. And if those stories are good. Let's hear them. Let's let's share them. Let's let's show them. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, I think you're right. I hadn't really thought about that, about you're talking about Mitch and Cam from, uh, from modern family that you might write those characters very differently today. And, and, uh, they would not be as interesting, you know, yeah. uh, if, uh, if, if Mitch didn't have his clowning side, uh, or no, it's Cam, that's Cam who, you yeah, know, yeah, if yeah. he never showed up as I think Fizbo the clown, it, you know, and it's just like, Oh no, that's too weird. But yeah. it's so, it's one of the funniest things about his character is, yeah. is his love of clowning, you know, and his high pitched squeal voice when he's upset. <laughs> yeah. And then Mitch is, can be kind of cruel sometimes. And, yeah, and that's true. Sort of very, uh, not subjective, but sort of, uh, dismissive, <laughs> Yeah. But I love them. If they move next door to me, I, I would I'd be popping champagne. Like I, I get to hang out with Cam and Mitch all the time, you know. Yeah, and and the, you know, occasionally the, the character that uh, Nathan Lane would play as their friend, you know, I mean, he's very over the top, but it's you know, it's Nathan Lane, so you can you can kind of get away with it. It's yeah. it's a great point. I it'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, one of the things, and we we referenced it. Uh, you know, you talk about this cancellation of old films and old content. And, you know, that's sort of what we were talking about earlier. And I mean, for me, there's not a, a lot of instances of things that have gone away. Uh, I think that, you know, when I would, when, probably when you were a kid too, I mean, uh, Disney's song of the South was around and it hasn't been for quite a while. Uh, it, it's been available in other countries, uh, but you know, and and I've seen it within the last twenty years, and you can understand why it it, it went away. But mm. it, I'm surprised that that trend had, didn't continue when they saw that. You know, when when Disney Plus was about to launch, they went through and they tweeted, every, you know, each year that they had a movie come out, and they just they just skipped that one. They didn't mm. talk about it. And I at one point they were going to release it with a documentary that really went into like here's the context of it, mm. here's what we think about it now. And it's like I was saying earlier, I think that there's a lot of value in seeing something that was created at that time. But are you worried that even though that trend, it, that seems to have be the most high profile thing of a, of a film that really just disappeared, uh, do you feel like we're not out of the woods and there will probably be you know, something like, you know, just to use the example, I mean, I don't know that Blazing Saddles would ever go away, but it's one that you can take a look at and, yeah. you know, someone would make the case as to why it should, you know? I think when it comes to big tech censorship, if you had told me five, 10 years ago that there'd be major stories breaking in the news that were not debunked and were very clearly either true or very possibly true, and they would be, they would go away during an election cycle, I'd say you're crazy. So I yeah. don't think anything's off the table. Um, and I think that we live in a culture right now where the academic, academic class, the media class, the Hollywood class would either cheer on these cancellations or just lay down and let them happen. That scares me. And those three bodies have a lot of power in our culture. So we're not there yet. I'm glad we're not there yet. We may never get there and I hope so, but uh, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. And uh you know, it takes one cultural flashpoint. I mean, look at look at everything that changed after the uh, the George Floyd's uh, his death yeah. and, and everything. I mean, 
now when you go on Netflix, if there's a black channel and the sort of, a, you know, Hispanic voices and things, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just is. That changed. Yeah. That's that, that's across Hulu. That's across Amazon. You know, we've seen dramatic changes in police enforcement, the way that police are viewed, the way that pop culture views police, crime across the country from one death. Yeah. You don't think there could be another example of that that happens in our culture that 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 forces such a, a radical reconfiguration of, of life? I, I think it's very possible. Yeah, no, no, that's uh, I, 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 I again would like to think that you're wrong, but it is very possible. Again, Farad Muhammad wants to wonder if Disney would consider it worth the time and money to remaster and digitize Song of the South for Disney Plus <laughs> when it wouldn't draw as many people as a mediocre episode of The Mandalorian or or what five of the episodes of Book of Boba Fett. That's a great point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's also like, where's the money in it? And it's true when the talk was about putting Song of the South out with a documentary attached, it was not a particularly high point for Disney. They've, this is, I think that that was long enough ago. It was before they bought Marvel and Fox and yeah. Star Wars. And, you know, so yeah, Disney's in a different business now, but I don't know. I just think that there is something to be learned from it, uh, from a movie like that. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it, the the casualty is really that it, it took a long time, but the uh, the Splash Mountain ride is going to go away because of those characters that are yeah. featured in that movie. You know, so but, but that kind of thing doesn't help anyone. It really doesn't. And I think I think that the amount of people who are genuinely outraged and it ruins their day, I suspect it's very small. I really do. I, I think we get I think we we feast on this outrage, but I don't think it's real. I mean, I think we and if it is real, we should be more outraged about more real things that are going on in the culture. I, I don't know. You know, I, I'd rather my son watch Song of the South and then he and I have like a great conversation afterwards and discuss it. You know, some of the songs may be beautiful. Some of the characters are interesting. Sort of the, the, the glaring lack of context, why it matters, why people are outraged by it, why people are upset by it, why it why it took so long to be able to see it again. I think those are all healthy conversations. And I, I mean, I just prefer a society where we can have those conversations. We can have access to art. That's that's problematic to use the left's favorite word yeah i think uh problematic doesn't mean that uh it should be destroyed i mean think it's yeah. uh, it's certainly worth talking about if a movie comes out now that's problematic uh yeah. you can certainly uh, still talk about it uh you know uh as we start to wind down one of the things you talked about later in the book uh you chatted with uh, somebody that I know pretty well, Don Jameson, uh, about this idea that uh, comedians will go after other comedians. And I sort of touched on it with, uh, with Shane Gillis. It's, uh, that's, I think, uh, the surprising thing is just how quick other comedians are. And maybe it's just as simple as like, well, that's more stage time for me. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's a, that's a, uh, you know, a lead in a Hulu series that I might get, but mm -hmm. uh, it is, it, you know, it seems like there are, there's no fraternity. There's no brotherhood, brotherhood and sisterhood that, you know, I mean it more in the general you know, non-gender yeah. non sense. It, it seems like, yeah, everybody's kind of in, <laughs> out for themselves. And uh, if they can fuel the, uh, the, the, the woke mob as it were uh, more, you know, they're, they're happy to do it. You know, I think it's interesting because I think in, this doesn't count for everyone for sure. Maybe a very small part uh, minority, but I think some comedians are, are doing that out of self uh, kind of self protection. I, I think about Judd Apatow who, you know, I love his early movies. I think they're brilliant. They're funny. They're outrageous. Their body, they're revealing they, And they actually have a lot of heart too. Yeah. But I wonder if he thinks, I just made a whole bunch of white male 
white privilege, brotastic movies, I could be canceled next. So I'm going to be pretty woke and I'm going to kind of, you know, lay the hammer down on Louis C.K. because he made jokes about the uh, uh, the Parkland high school students, which, by the way, was actually a really kind of smart joke. His joke was basically saying these people survived this horrible incident. How did that make them gun experts? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's a that's a that's a that's a risky joke to tell. And it's a risky topic to broach. But it it does matter, you know, because they aren't experts. They're just God bless that they survived that awful yeah. day. But that doesn't mean now they may have gone and done tons of research in theory. That's perfectly fine. And they have gone, you know, educated themselves in ways and maybe they are experts today based on whatever. But but sort of out of the gate, we just christen them as experts. Like and so his joke was in is it was a tough one. And and Louis and Judd Apatow was, you know, clutching his pearls about that. But maybe Judd Apatow's a little, a little worried that his movies had a lot of white people in them and the diversity was pretty low and that they were very sort of they had filled with content that you wouldn't you wouldn't get approved today. So maybe he's thinking like that. Mark Marin has said some similar things because he's got some pretty rough material back in the day and not not so long ago. Maybe he's woke now because he's afraid that they'll drag, you know, drudge up stuff about him. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you're talking about Judd Apatow and uh, Seth Rogen has sort of, you know, said some things that just seem very inconsistent with yeah. who he appeared to be not too long ago. But it could, you're absolutely right, it could come out of fear. And, you know, you were talking about how there aren't really the good R-rated comedies that there used to be. And it's mostly because Judd Apatow doesn't make them, That's you right. know? And well, I Tom think, Phillips. Right, yeah. And I think that... Uh, the one Pete Davidson, King of Staten Island. I think that there were things that were good about it. I think he can still, you know, look, he still has it in him to make good movies, but honestly, like even uh funny people has like a whole third act where I just, I, I was just like, this movie fell apart. Like what, what is this story? Like the, yeah. there's a great part of the story. So I don't quite know what it is, you know, where it's like, uh, I'm not really sure what he's doing, but I think it's all in his head. And I mean, obviously if, if very, quick very funny brain that he has but uh i i don't know how he's uh turning that out you know i mean and i think very similar point with uh seth rogan it was nice to see seth rogan in this uh, pam and tommy lee show because i hadn't seen him in so long you know because mm. it's just i don't know it's been a while i think since uh since seth rogan has been in something where i'm like oh yeah i really want to check that out you know well look so, at seth rogan and amy schumer and will ferrell uh, these are big comedy stars. When was the last yeah. time they made a big comedy? Yeah. Right. No, I know. I mean, uh, Will Ferrell's not friends with Adam McKay anymore because he didn't put him in his Lakers show, you know, which by the way, I'm like, wouldn't you, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't Will Ferrell be able to play a part that John C. Riley can play? I mean, well enough, you know, if you want to yeah. look at, put it this way, if you want to stay friends with someone, sometimes you have to make that decision. <laughs> but uh, I also I thought mean, it was a very thin skin moment, but you know, I, I've spoken yeah. to artists over the years and, Often they're very sensitive. Often their skins are very thin. Yeah. It, it may be sort of a, a side effect of them being very empathetic and, and artistic. And, you know, it just it is. It yeah. is what they are. Well, I love this context uh, comment from our friend Lynn B uh, from the old uh, DMZ, Dennis Miller show. Uh, my two Christians, we are both here. <laughs> and then uh, Chris Christie, not that Chris Christie, <laughs> but a different Chris Christie, uh, says he misses the H-E double hockey sticks out of me and Dennis. Uh, the country has taken a shitty turn since you guys left. I didn't go anywhere. 
Dennis is the one who, if you follow Dennis on Instagram, he was in Sri Lanka for like six weeks and it looked like he had a great time. So if you, you know, if you want Dennis, you can find him. He's just really on Instagram and so you might not hear from him for months. Um, I actually talked to him today though. He's uh, doing very well. Um, Christian, uh, there's obviously so much of this that uh, we can continue to talk about, but I know we're going to continue our tradition in a couple of weeks and I'm going to talk to you the day after the Oscars. And I'm so glad that we switched to the day after the Oscars because mm-hmm. Boy, it's hard to watch that in real time at night. And, you know, the fact that I might be able to fast forward through it a little bit. <laughs> and, you know, look, I, I understand it'll be interesting to see because I understand that that's a TV show and you want people to watch it. But, uh, man, did they cut a lot of categories out that uh, seem to have really upset the Hollywood community. And I don't know. I don't know what the fix is, but uh, I, I think that the the bigger problem watching that show will probably be what they made room for in terms of the content. That's you know? that's a great point. Yeah. So uh, I look forward to talking about that. But the final thing I wanted to talk to you about is uh, this is not related to your book. And we did talk about your uh, great book, Virtue Bombs. Um, I need to give myself credit, something that you and I uh, share in common. Uh, This was a point that I made in 2011 on Facebook. Uh, I I saw this in my Facebook memories recently, and I know you had a a run in with this crowd. Uh, And I said, uh, two minutes in, I was thinking Bob's Burgers is one of the worst shows I've ever seen. Two minutes later, I was bordering on Bob's Burgers is the worst show I've ever seen, but I'm afraid to commit mostly because of the two times that I've seen the show Glee. Uh, So that's a very 2011 reference. But you were talking about the feedback that you didn't get from this book. But boy, you stepped out on Bob's Burgers and what happened to you? I got to, I I mean, I don't take it seriously. It was just a quip, I guess, but it's kind of a death threat. (laughs) So I basically said that the show has lost its mojo. No, I yeah. love the show. The show is an institution in my family. We we watched the best episodes a dozen times. We watched right. every episode. But last last season was rough, and last this season is rougher. And listen, no show lasts forever. No show can be uh, can hit its prime forever. The Simpsons has laughs still, but it really is a very different show than it once was, and I don't enjoy it yeah. as much. So yeah. there's no there's no harm in saying maybe maybe it's time to step away, take a break, take a knee, call it a show. You know, no show should go on indefinitely, and no show can go on indefinitely and stay great. But that was apparently not. It was apparently that was not loading my, my review of the, of the new season with the all these different caveats. It wasn't like I was trashing the show. And I got two yeah. or three of the most angry, uh, grammatically <laughs> inert responses. So, um, so if if I actually disappear for that reason i, I don't know it's well lynn, lynn b apparently has read your book and she oh. says it's so well written because i you. haven't written a book so she has to be talking yeah. about you because uh <laughs> yeah so uh <laughs> lynn is an absolute sweetheart so we love we love uh lynn b we always Maybe i would say that before the before the yeah. kind words <laughs> yeah yeah but then, then but now you're like now. now you really like her <laughs> now she's in my will but there's no money in my will so <laughs> yeah that's all right just that's uh copies of your book uh that uh, you can link to her. dog-eared copies of virtue bombs <laughs> <laughs> well uh christian the book is called uh virtue bombs and uh i appreciate you talking about it and uh i uh, i'm sorry it took me a little while to read it but i i wanted to read it before i talked to you because i feel like we could have had this conversation if you know if i hadn't read it but i knew that actually getting the chance to delve into it uh, would go a long way. And I hope uh, people are inspired to find it. Now you said that you don't feel like you really want to write another book at this point. Uh, oh, so, no. <laughs> yeah. But could you see, you know, sort of 
you know, expanding on these themes, whether it be, you know, just articles on your site, maybe as opposed to, you know, republishing the book or something. But uh, I feel like it sort of sets, you know, it, it sets you in a direction where there's a lot to continue to talk about maybe as soon as Oscar night, you know? Yeah. I mean, there, there's, I mean, I've been carrying on this conversation on my website and my podcast right on Hollywood. So it, it, it continues. I wish it didn't continue. I wish, I wish I would have to write about something else because I just, Ultimately, this is a depressing topic, but it needs to be explored. It needs to be discussed. And uh, I, I, I genuinely think it matters. I think when, when, when the biggest comedian of all time today, Dave Chappelle, is under significant attack, um, that matters. Because what, is, what message does this send to the, 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 the club comics who are just trying to make, make a living and what they can say and what they can't say? It matters. Yeah, no, no, that, it absolutely does, and uh, I don't, I don't know what the fix is for uh, some of the things, and and I think you're very fair in the evaluating of of all of it, really, your evaluation of it, because you know I, I think a lot of this stuff does start in a good place. Some things are very well intentioned. You know, you talk about the Me Too movement that taking out somebody like Harvey Weinstein is very important, you know, Bravo. because, you know, uh, it, it's just when it get and, and, and this is me stealing this from Dennis Miller, but then when it got to the fact that uh, somebody had a bad date with Aziz Ansari once that, <laughs> that was, that that's Dennis's joke. So, you know, yeah, write, to him, no, write to him if you can yeah. find him, but, but the good jokes have humor. In the, uh, yeah. But, in the, but it, it, it's, it's spot on because it's like, yeah, it, it, it you sort of, you lose the thread sometimes. And I think that, you know, trying to get more people of color uh, on film sets as directors, you know, just the the sheer, the very small number of women even nominated for uh, best director over the oh, years, yeah. you know, and, you know, I think that, and when there have been phenomenal films directed by women, you know, it's not like they haven't been directing them. So I think that a lot of this starts in a good place, but it's so easy to see how, you know, politics taking up the 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 wrong cause uh you know just uh can can steer it in the wrong direction and uh so i hope people uh continue uh this conversation with you and i know they can find you uh, on twitter at hollywood and toto and where do they find uh, your show and your website and uh, all of that well my uh, website is hollywood in right. and the podcast is right on hollywood you can find it basically any place a, a podcast is found Right, exactly. And uh, I'm sorry that we don't have the the budget uh, that the old radio show had, and I can't bring you on with songs by the band Toto. But uh, <laughs> that was one of Dennis's always favorites. We wasn't always Africa. Sometimes it was Rosanna. You know, there were a few. We would I go back and forth to myself. <laughs> well, Christian Toto, thank you so much for uh, giving me some of your time, and uh, I look forward to talking to you about oscar night because uh i don't i don't know who else i'll be able to talk to <laughs> i don't look forward to oscar night but i'm looking forward no. to the night yeah the yeah night. I, I look forward to uh watching it on youtube tv the morning before right. i talk to you and fast forwarding through it all uh anyway thanks so much to everybody in the chat uh some very kind words uh for me but also some for christian and i'll allow it because i like him uh you don't have to only compliment me uh so thank you to everybody and uh we'll see you next time on the blackcast
exercise is gonna take care of some business. But I'm here to say, have a nice day. And listen to the damn show.